You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. I keep hearing this common theme in my brain of just like everything is landing back to like open communication pathways. And I think that's probably a challenge anywhere you work. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like we're immune to that, but I just keep thinking like if we could if we could get some more open honest conversation and communication that could solve a lot of frustration. Because oncology is a high-stress specialty, it isn't unusual for there to be tension between members of the team. So I sat down with oncology nurses Brittany Cook and Kylie Taves to talk about how oncology doctors and nurses sometimes annoy each other. Here's part three of our conversation. The emotional hazards of this job are significant for anybody. Nobody does this job who's not empathetic to some degree. You talked about maintaining boundaries between your emotions and the patient's emotions and how challenging that can be. I think everybody in oncology care has that work cut out for them. And some of us struggle more than others. Do you think nurses struggle with it more than doctors do? I don't know. That's hard for me to answer. You know, it'd be nice if MDs were to verbalize, like, this was a rough day. I had a couple rough patients. Mm. Don't or they? I've only come across it a couple times where I think one of our doctors was like, almost, I noticed that he took a breath before he had to go in. And he's like, this is going to be a hard discussion. Mm. So I think they feel it probably more than what they put on. What they let on, yeah. You know, you have some that I feel like kind of have that, I'm a hard ass, you know, kind of, but we know once they enter that room, they're completely we're not, different person. We're not, we're not going to name names. Yeah. I know I have said on more than one occasion in a, in a huddle, when, when I used to attend huddles in a, when I was in a clinic, things like, this is going to be a bad one, or this is a sad one, mm-hmm. or this one, or even the day after sometimes. So I, I know some of us do. Here's the amazing thing about nurses. They never stop trying to take care of the people around them, even the people that sometimes drive them crazy. Just listen to what happened next. Could I pose a question? Sure. Is it difficult to verbalize to colleagues or especially nurses that you work really closely with, you know, when you need help? I can answer for myself. Sure. I do not find it difficult. I think the challenge is in being aware of our own emotional state sometimes. Mm-hmm. I actually do think physicians are better generally at those kinds of boundary issues than nurses are for a variety of reasons. We're a bit more isolated from it. I think mm-hmm. our training in yours is to it a little bit more. I think we tend to be a bit more philosophical about it when you are thinking strategically most of the time. And you do care about every one of your patients individually, but when you meet somebody with a particular diagnosis, you can estimate to a fairly high degree of probability how it's probably going to go. You're always waiting to be pleasantly surprised. So I think you're forewarned. Right? I think that's helpful. I also think we're taught in training and then just to the, honestly, the brutality of the work itself sometimes that if I lose myself emotionally, I'm not going to be able to perform these next several hours the way I need to. So you get good at 
putting things, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with this later. Mm -hmm. This will be for when I get home or when I'm working out or if I'm crying in the shower or drinking too much. And I've done all four of those things because you get really, really good at when you feel that coming, you, you're like, okay, we're, we're putting this aside. You don't always know what your state is going to be. You've dissociated from it. Sometimes you don't know. And sometimes it takes somebody who's working close to you saying, are you okay? And that's usually enough to, ah, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Pat's really good at doing that for me. Um, she'd, she'd just be like, are, you're, you're not okay today. Or you're like, you're like grumpy. Mm-hmm. Or you seem morose or something like that. And she'll just, she'll just name it. I'm like, oh, all of a sudden now I'm back in touch with my own little self. I can't speak for the rest of my partners, colleagues. I don't know any of them that are against the idea of it because I know that I've had heartfelt conversations with all of them about some of these tragedies that we see. And it's not about, oh, that's something that happens in the doctor's club and that's only for the doctors. It's not. It shouldn't be. Sometimes I think there's this idea of, I don't need to overload them. I don't need to overload the nurses who I know are probably having a harder time with it than I am because they spent more time with them. They're more deeply connected. They're closer to their age or something. Sometimes I think doctors have this wrong-headed sense of quarantine about their own emotions. Like, I'm not laying this on somebody else. That'll be for my cat or my kids. Or Have you ever wanted to say something and didn't know if it was okay? I mean, sometimes, because I realize you guys are going through the, the same things we are in a different level and giving the same news and sometimes worse news and sometimes might even have busier days than we do in treatment. And so sometimes I just want to be like, hey, I see that you're really busy. How can I help you? Or can I put that order in for you? And so I was just curious, could we open more communication in that sense? You know? Oh, I think you absolutely can. And I think that you could also say, can I talk about X because it really hurt and mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with it. And I was wondering how you felt. Another part of caring for patients and the people around us is sometimes giving uncomfortable feedback. Next, we spoke about how important it is and how to do it in more effective ways. I always wonder to kind of roll off of that. If we see you're having a bad day, you know, asking those questions, how can we help or basically calling it out. But is it also okay to, if I'm recognizing, like, are you kind of desensitizing from the situation? Like doctors work sometimes week after week, and then the weekends and on call at night. And sometimes it's got to be only natural to you've done this for so long and so much and given so much bad news that you kind of almost just shut off from it and don't feel much. Is it okay to say, hey, let's remember kind of what population we're dealing with? I think what you're asking is, can I ever check in with or redirect a physician if they seem to be manifesting symptoms of compassion fatigue? Yes. I think it is. Do you think it's okay if a nurse does? I do. Okay. Because sometimes like the relationship, like just like the nurses have different type of relationships. Yeah. Like you mentioned, like the doctor club, the nurses club, you know, (laughs) like we understand that we all work together, but obviously you form closer connections with those that do similar jobs. So the ones you work with every day or the ones you like or the ones that right. go to the same church or live in the neighborhood right. or their kids' place. Yeah, yeah. It's natural. It's human. So, you know, being able to say, Hey, Dr. Winkler, you really seem like you need to show a little bit more compassion with how well, how you're wording something to a patient. 
it's not to offend you, but just to say, I'm recognizing it. And so is the patient. You know, you can tell when a family is becoming uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. certain one's approach to certain Mm -hmm. things, and you don't know where it's necessarily coming from. Well, if that's not advocacy Mm -hmm. and part of your brief to advocate, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it comfortable to do that? No. I think that's probably more of the comfort thing. That I, they, yeah. I, I think what yeah. you're asking is, are you ever going to get in trouble for doing that? Right. I no. think because it's a nerve wracking thing is. to call out, but to correct in a way, not correct, but like change the trajectory of what a physician is trying. You're to so s- nervous about the idea. You won't even <laughs> yeah, say it. I'm like, correct seems kind of mean, but exactly that. Like in times Why? where you want to pop out with something and say, no, let's maybe not how it'll work downstairs or Hey, do you want to reword that? It'd be it'd be nice to know. <laughs> you know, going back to the annoyance thing, though, oh, she pulled me out of the room just to tell me that I am not compassionate. <laughs> you know, like that's where I think maybe some of that fear might be mm-hmm. being like, I'm not trying to be a pain in your ass, but I'm also advocating for, for the patient, patient and seeing that they're very uncomfortable with your bedside. Sometimes the right thing to do is to be a pain in somebody's ass. And it doesn't mean that they have to like it. I mean, if I was going to give effective tips for how to do that so that it's A, most effective and B, that you're likely to get the result you want, I would suggest what you said. You were saying, hey, Dr. Winkler, I think you need to show a little bit more compassion if one was going to give that feedback. Because you know, there actually is a judgment in there. What I mean by that is you are not compassionate. And that likely isn't, that's probably not going to land very well because they're like, what are you talking about? I'm compassionate. And I don't think you really believe that. I think you can tell when people are running on empty and, and, and maybe the, the nonverbals aren't there or maybe the, the work isn't going into the communication or maybe they're just too tired or fatigued to be paying attention to the nonverbals they ought to be paying attention to. Those are all different types of failures. I don't think it's ever compassion, failure. I just think it's exhaustion or distraction or whatever it is. I think the intent is always compassion. Mm -hmm. I think the thing to say is, I don't think this is landing the way you're hoping it will land. They seem to be wounded by what you're saying. I mean, do you see the difference? Yep, definitely. Yeah. So leading off with, you're not being compassionate. I need you to be compassionate. What are you talking about? Of course I'm compassionate. I care. Well, what do you think I was up all night on call? Well, <laughs> yes, your compassion is causing you to be an asshole right now. <laughs> and I guess the way that, but like how you just said, of course, I'm compassionate. I was on call. That's not how maybe the patient or how we they're not, ex- they are not feeling your, they are not feeling your warm, glowy, glowy heart. Right. We want warm, this is, glowy. This is not landing the way you hope it's landing. Right. I'm, I'm picking up that this ain't going well. Yeah. So maybe we should start again. Yeah. I think that's probably a good way to do it rather than a, than a value judgment about it. I, I suspect that's likely to be well received. Yeah. Probably across the board. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. A cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and alone, just when you need support the most. I'm Addison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers at Green Bay Oncology, we know that meaningful connection brings strength and healing. Sharing the experience in a safe space with others on a similar path is often powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual cancer support group facilitated for you and your loved ones. Wherever you are on your cancer journey, you're always welcome. To join us, visit gboncology.com slash events.
We all make assumptions every day, and they're useful shortcuts, except when they're not. Like when we jump to conclusions about why our coworkers might be doing things that frustrate us. We spend a lot of time talking about ways to get past this. I keep hearing this common theme in my brain of just like everything is landing back to like open communication pathways. And I think that's probably a challenge anywhere you work. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like we're immune to that, but I just keep thinking like if we could if we could get some more open honest conversation and communication that could solve a lot of frustration. There's a book that was recommended reading for the culture committee called Creating a Drama Free Workplace by Anna Maravellas and one of the reasons that it was brought to culture committee was this idea she had she described the first reaction when there's friction at work. So humans come equipped with a negativity bias. What I mean by that and the way she explains it is there's an evolutionary advantage to if you see the brush at the edge of the clearing where your village is rustling, if you think tiger rather than my aunt from the next village over, it's to our advantage to jump to negative conclusions with something we don't entirely see. All humans are programmed like that. And it's actually a conscious effort not to jump to negative conclusion. Mm -hmm. So whenever there's friction, she suggests that the first thing to do to get past it is to identify the first reaction and then move past it. The first reaction is they don't care about the patient. But then you have to stop and think, of course they care about the patient. They're here. They trained to be here. What else is going on? Or that nurse is bothering you about this because they're stupid, because they don't have, you know, they want me to take care of everything. Of course, they're not stupid. They have to. This is the law. This is the regulation. This is the scope of their, their care. Here's an example. Scheduling desk nurses. How can they not work this patient in to such and such? Don't they know that this and that, like, there's no holes, that there's just not a place to put them. And that's a constant struggle in, in any workplace. And I think that's exactly what, what you said. I think it's really just about open, honest conversation. But that never happens if we don't let go of that first reaction or the first assumption that it's going to be the first one that comes in their heads. And it's the one that feels the best. And it's the one that feels the truest. And it's got to be true, right? Usually isn't. <laughs> she also talks about it, the, what she calls the baby in the backseat. You don't really know what the pressing issue is all the time. She tells a story about a guy who pulled up behind a woman. He was late for work through no fault of his own. And the light turns green and the lady in his lane is not moving. And she's just sitting there. He's laying on the horn and he's just getting enraged. And he's thinking about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ram her with the back of my car. And he says, nope, you know what? I'm going to get out. I'm going to march out. I'm going to give her what for because she's ruining my day. And he goes over there. And, and he sees, you know, before he gets out of the truck, he sees that she's turned around in the back. She's not even looking at the road. It's just, she's just getting more and more mad. And when he goes and he gets close to the window, he sees that her baby in the back seat is choking and blue. And she is fumbling, trying to get the, the kid's little tiny airway unblocked before he little brain fries. The person who stopped in front of you in the lane may not be stupid. They might be checking their Instagram page. or they may have a choking baby in the backseat. Mm -hmm. You don't know mm -hmm. until you ask, but you don't ask if we 
And, and this is something I have to do every day because it's a conscious effort. We don't do it naturally. And that's where a lot of the friction comes from. I think it's exactly what you said. It's openness and communication. And so what's happening here? And I think starting also with, you know, maybe they're a jerk or an idiot, or maybe there's something I don't know. And it takes effort to get to that too. So, I mean, try to keep a positive thought. Every time we talk and get together away from work with people, even with people in the clinic that I may not necessarily gel with or even particularly like, I'm always struck by how dedicated everybody is to this work. Everybody really does care. Some people are better at it than others. Some people are more consistent about it than others. Some people are more pleasant to deal with than others. Nobody don't care. And that that's kind of a relief. It's just really, really hard to remember in the middle of the day sometimes. Great. Stress gets the best of everybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. for how you react. It all just comes back to communication, realizing mm-hmm. that everybody's stressed. Everybody's stressed. Yeah. It has their own stuff to deal with, whether it's work yeah. at home. You hope that you leave your home stuff at home and, you know. Not all the work stuff so stays at work. Not all the home stuff stays at home. What physician traits do you think are least helpful? I guess the short answers, mm-hmm. the uh. the quick responses. Yep. Well, I don't know. Like. I mean, I could mock all day. I can do impressions all day. Mm. It's just, that's probably the most annoying. Mm. And that is that assumption yep. of that's when you definitely know like you are being annoying or mm. you are bothering them maybe at the wrong time or asking a question that they necessarily want to, not that they don't want to answer it, but or, no, they probably are, tired, <laughs> are tired of answering it or something like that. that. You know, it, so yeah, I think cockiness is probably the number one trait in providers that just So that's what it feels like when you get a short answer. Cockiness. It feels like we're a burden. Yes. Ah. Uh, yes. So going again rounding back to like the autonomy thing like no, sometimes I don't want to ask you this question and yeah, I don't right. necessarily feel like I need to ask you this question, but I also can't make the decision on my own. So, you know, a lot of people, and this is, I think applies to more than just nurses. I'm sure this applies to financial and PSRs when they have to ask questions mm-hmm. about opening a schedule or uh, did you really want this to get authorized? You know, there are things that we all want to ask that makes us feel like a burden because we probably know the answer. But again, we don't necessarily have the ability to give the answer ourselves. You're not the burden, but you're the bearer of the burden. But you are. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you are. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just- I'll even lead with, I already know the answer to this. I just need you to say yes or no, and I'll take care of it because yeah. it's just what I have to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the current answers feel your burden, like you're an annoyance, like a shoe fly kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works if you're cocky back. Just kidding. Don't do that. Okay. Well, so so now, <laughs> no, we're, we're going back. We're going back to cocky. We went. We jumped from. I want to understand this. What What does cocky mean exactly? I think at how the question is answered, you know, so whether it's in with your doc halo or you're on the phone or even face to face and you ask a specific question Mm -hmm. and it's responded with, yep, well, good luck with that. Or it's responded with, well, I don't know. What do you think? It's in the tone of the voice. Mm. It's Mm. the, sometimes the words, yes, I can be a hypocrite. And sometimes I give it back to certain providers, depending on our relationship level or feeling like it using maybe the ouch effectiveness (laughs) to that, but being like, listen, if this is a way that you're going to respond to me, this is kind of how it feels. If I'm going to respond to you the same way, 
but that's just my personality. But I think it's the tone of the voice and how things are responded because yes, we may know better, but certain things need to be dealt with. Certain things need to be answered mm -hmm. because we can't make those decisions. Okay. What physician traits are least helpful, Kylie? Again, touching in that word assumptions, I think assuming that we don't know something or assuming that we're trying to be a bother or assuming that something's uh, going to go off with a hitch without steps to be taken sometimes, mm -hmm. assuming that the nurse is just going to get it done, get it taken care of, no questions asked, no telephone counters and sent, um, that kind of thing, I think is a little bit difficult. I don't know if that happens all the time, but it can be pretty frustrating when it does occur. And it makes it almost harder to get things done. So maybe a hyper focus on efficiency. Sometimes, the yes. Is, mm -hmm. a, is a not helpful trait. Mm -hmm. And then just for, forgetting, forgetting that there are conversations that need to be had, just other aspects that need to get taken care of before a certain goal can get achieved is sometimes, you know, again, touching back on, okay, so we want this patient to start a medication. We want the medication to start tomorrow. Is there an opening? Well, is there an opening? I don't know. The PSRs, uh, do we have the drug? We'll have to check with pharmacy. Mm. Can the drug get authorization tomorrow? Do they have a port? If they don't have a port, is it a medication we can give peripherally? You know, all of those things need to happen before we can get a patient scheduled. So sometimes I think what you said, hyper-focus on. That's more hyper-focus on result. It's like, I want this result. Don't tell me about the 12 steps that have to Correct. happen, six of which probably aren't possible. Right. Feeding off of that, also don't mention that to the patient. Right. <laughs> because some patients take, I'm going to see you next week in a literal sense. Ah. You know, so we're going to get you started next week. Yes, that's your intention and it's a good intention. But in reality, that sometimes can't happen. Or I'll see you next week, meaning where the doctor know, I know that they meant it as we will see you next week. Our providers will see you next week. But I think the trust, when a patient has that trust with the provider, they trust what they're saying and sometimes take it a little bit more literal too. Mm. So sometimes that's hard to like tell them, just watch kind of what you're saying because we need to take that backlash in a sense, explain to them that's not the way things work. What else? Any other traits? Skipping steps, just want to get it done. Yeah, skipping steps can can definitely lead to a lot more delays mm -hmm. in that. So, so if I was going to summarize unhealthy physician traits that you described, uh, hyper-focus on efficiency, hyper-focus on results, tendency to over-promise intentionally or unintentionally. What nurse traits do you think are least helpful? I think nurses can be um, really type A while also focusing on the whole person, which seems kind of like it would be have like a discrepancy, but very task oriented on on the hills. We can bring those hills back in. And I think that can be annoying or frustrating for physicians that we will focus on tasks that may not seem very important mm. in the battle. I'm sure that can become pretty frustrating. And I think kind of with the type A, very protocol, very focused, very black and white, mm -hmm. you know, not being able to get into that gray area or understanding, you know, you're telling me something different. But I'm like, no, you know, that doesn't fall in my mm. protocol. It doesn't fall in my policy instead of looking at outside of the picture or the big picture of what you're trying to do. No. So I think sometimes those personalities probably mm. can get frustrating, I'm sure. Do the physicians know that we have a whole folder of policies that 
have we have to follow? Like, some of us do. <laughs> I'm only dimly aware of what's in some of them. So that's where I think sometimes the frustration for physicians is we'll ask what they might think is a really silly question, but because we're required to yeah. follow a policy and we have to verify something, I know it might be a silly question, but the type A and me can't make that choice without verifying. I think it's okay to be a burden. I think you have to be sometimes. If I had to pick an unhelpful nurse trait, I would probably go with the, the ones you said. I, th- I think it is a, a little bit of a narrow focus sometimes and sometimes a lack of nuance. The black and white, as you say. Sometimes there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, even within the regulations. I think that nurse trait, the unhealthy one that I worry the most about is the emotional boundary issue. Not because I, th- I think it's so much a problem at work. I think it is really, really hard on a person's soul. I know what it feels like when I'm having trouble with it. And I, have, and I think I have less trouble with it than y'all do. And it, it cannot feel good. The physician charts that I think are least helpful, definitely the hyper-focus on efficiency. And I think the tendency to be overly reductionistic or scientific to the exclusion of everything else. I think physicians forget that we're not scientists. We are humanitarians who co-opt the tools of science. We're not in there with test tubes. Some of us wear lab coats to pretend we're scientists, but we're not. We're humanitarians. We're like social workers who stole the the secret solution from the lab. Um, we're, we're supposed to be humanitarians first, and it's hard. You, you, but you have to know the science. You have to know how to use the tools. And sometimes you do have to be brutally reductionistic in your decision-making about this drug, not that. What's the evidence? You have to be ruthless about that. That's tricky. That's a hard, that's a hard line to walk. But, but, but I think that's a skill set that gets us in trouble as a bad trait sometimes. I think the unhealthiest of the physician traits is the desire to control and discomfort with not knowing something or being wrong. The need to be right, it's hard. It's hard to live with yourself being wrong in this job if it goes really, really badly. It's embarrassing to say something inaccurate or have to walk something back. Mm-hmm. I think physicians worry way too much about their image if they have to walk something back or apologize. I actually think it's more damaging to people's image not to own your mistakes and not to say, oh, wow, I, can I start that over? And really flood that up. That's really about being a bit more emotionally vulnerable or just professionally vulnerable. Our personalities don't get to that naturally or really easily. One of the most fun things to do in a safe space is talk openly about what annoys us about each other. Brittany and Kylie were totally down, and it was fun. Have a listen. Fill in the blanks time. This is the fun. This is going to be a fun day. This is for you guys. Okay. I don't understand why you doctors always blank. Brittany. Undermine our education. Ah, tell, tell me, tell me about that. So the nurse here is going to tell you about chemo precautions and all that doesn't really mean anything. Um, <laughs> so we have to, that's what we were taught that, yeah. you know, that's what is recommended. So when we have to educate, I feel like they're undermining what we are telling them, mm. what we're educating the patient with. And that's what they need to know. That's, you know, so, but the doctor doesn't, they may th- maybe have a different mindset for it. 
but their mindset isn't what is told for us. Yeah. So I, I think there probably is a fair bit of daylight between what we're taught we have to tell patients about necessary precautions and what precautions are probably actually necessary. I, I think you're exactly right that mm-hmm. there is not alignment around that. Yeah. Uh, I, I myself have some skepticism about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of the, the flushing the toilets twice and the separate laundry and right. all that stuff. Right. I will Do say you, I think it sometimes applies to even side effects in percentages sometimes. You know, I ran into a situation mm-hmm. where we do our best in education to research percentages of side effects and mm. things like that. And when a patient has already been told, ah, that's not going to happen. But I'm looking at a percentage that says 30 to 42%. That's a hefty percentage in our eyes in the grand scheme of things. So sometimes kind of undermining like, oh, we should probably not say that that's not going to happen. I think there's opportunity for improvement there. I, I agree. But if, first of all, if there is a lot of daylight between what we're, what we're teaching patients about what they're supposed to do with their fluids or their laundry or mm-hmm. whether they can kiss people within 48 hours of having chemotherapy and what we actually believe they ought to be doing, then we probably should try to square that somehow. I don't think it's okay for anybody to ever say that's not going to happen because we don't know right. if it's going to happen, particularly if it's a reported side effect. I think we can say it's probably not going to happen. I think if, if we say there's a 32% chance of something happening, we say that's probably not going to happen. That those are those are compatible statements. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think it's okay for us to undermine each other, and I don't think it's ever okay to even glibly say the nurse is going to tell you a bunch of stuff and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I have probably been guilty of that. Listen, if we want to reevaluate, you know, making a new teaching, that's again open communication. We can have that discussion. I think we can have that and discussion. We can change it, and we just sure, instead of just to. backbiting each other, exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think people here. Yeah. I know. I know from my perspective, I hear they told you to flush the commode twice. And, and then you think, my God, what, <laughs> what other nonsense are we teaching them? We have a glossy sheet and everything. Oh, oh no, I know you do. I, I know it's a lot like of work. laminated stamp. Yeah. I know a lot of work went into yeah. developing that. It's yeah. just, uh, it sounds, it sounds like it might be worth a fresh look. So Kylie, I don't understand why you doctors always do blank. Assume that we have no reason for asking the question, mm. I think, is probably, which, again, we've touched on earlier. So yeah. I am grateful for that. <laughs> okay. Now, we need to play the same game. Other way around, you can take turns with the questions or one of, one of you can ask both and I will submit to the game. So same question? Same questions. I don't understand why you nurses always, always. ask the same question more than one time. Fair. Mm-hmm. Why do you do that? There's so many of us. And I feel like sometimes the communication sometimes gets lost. Could I get an example? That would be helpful I have, for me. I, I have had the experience of having the same nurse ask me the same question oh. twice back to back. He's looking at me. Uh, was it me? Did I do it? Uh, it was probably me. I had this very conversation once with, with the nurse. And I said, you wrote an order for X. And this was like a basic Bob order that, that wasn't controversial. You wrote an order for X. Yes. Is that what you wanted me to give? Yes. So should I give it? <laughs> Let me guess. Yes. yes. Goddamn mine. <laughs> um, what I imagine is happening is the compulsion to verify must be really strong. 
That's huge. The difficulty is when it multiplies the number of questions I get by a factor of three, Mm -hmm. my patience wears really thin Mm -hmm. because I'm already wore out. So don't make your compulsion my problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that sounds more of like an uncomfortable the nurse was uncomfortable with something and trying to reiterate. This was 20 of Lasix. I mean, this was, oh. or Tylenol. So, I mean, this, it, it, if it was like, are you really sure you want me to give 15 grams of bleomycin? Then yes. I, I mean, like, really? Sure. R- really? Mm-hmm. Or, or, but honestly, what you really want to do is I would like you to explain why we're going to do this because I think this is insane. But this, you know, had it been something like that, I, I even, after a while, you kind of figure out which orders are going to create Issues. <laughs> issues. Where I run into that actually is uh, when we're doing rapid narcotic titration for uh, pain crises. Mm. Uh, I will usually preempt every order I write with a call to the nurse and then a call to the pharmacy. I'm saying, here's the dose we're going to give. Here's why. Here's how I got to it. Mm-hmm. This is probably going to make you nervous. Here's why I think it's okay. And that applies in the outpatient with chemo orders. With too. some stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But th- I don't think that bothers people because I, I can almost probably know what they're going to be. And honestly, when I have time, I try to preempt them. Because sometimes every now and then I'll misclick and I'll put, I, I didn't mean, oh God, that's, thank you for checking. Yeah. But it, it's when that compulsion becomes a thing, mm-hmm. then I, I start, not only did I find it aggravating, I'm just like, how do you get through your day? Yeah. I don't sometimes know how I get through my day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's specific nurses that are always going to do that. And then sometimes it's nurses that almost never do that. And then for some reason, the machinery is really, really jammed up today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a stereotypical physician trait that you envy or wish you had? Knowledge. Oh, yeah. The brainiacness. That's the brainiacness. a word I just made up. Um, Nerdiness. Yeah. Without even really having to think too much of yeah. it. Like you just are yeah. done. Like. I question this done. Like mm-hmm. it's just an almost an automatic sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. and that I think is just, I think it's really cool. I agree. You, you too can have this. You just hollow out three quarters of your soul and fill it with knowledge. Perfect. That's uh, that's a way to do it. I did not love studying for my OCN, so I cannot yeah. imagine. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, that's, that, that's kind of, I, the stereotypical nursing trait that I wish I had is tenacity. I have some of it, but not to the degree you guys do. I really admire that very, very much. Thanks. And the other trait that I admire, although it's a vexation, you guys don't seem tormented by self-doubt very much. I think the level of conviction is really inspiring. I'm always tormented by self-doubt. That's enviable. But I think that rolls into because you have the knowledge and we just execute it. Mm. I don't think it's ignorance is bliss. I really don't. I I think you navigate the world a little bit differently than we do. I think you navigate more by feel to some extent than by thought. And it's not that you're not intellectuals because you are. You all have advanced degrees. I wish I got through the world like that. And the more I've tried to do it, at least in certain realms, not at work, because I don't think that's the place for it. I, I think I'm supposed to navigate by thought at work. But the more I've tried to live like a nurse in other aspects of my life, I think the happier I've been. That's one of the traits I envy. This was fun. This yeah, was fun. It was. Had a lot of fun. i really grateful you guys came. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks uh, for having us. Yeah. Thank you for having us. I hope to have you back sometime. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Cover. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, 
or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. 